What does a national grief expert advise about grief and the holidays? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Marguerite O'Connor. Ms. O'Connor is a nationally recognized expert on grief and bereavement, a funeral director, and the author of Grief Struck, When a Death Changes Your Life. Marguerite, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. It's good to be here. Give us a Grief and Bereavement 101. Well, it's all about the relationships. Relationships bring us great joy, and they can also bring us great sadness. Thomas Lynch is a funeral director who says that mourning is a romance in reverse, and I think that really sums it up very well. And another quote that I like to share is from Maury Schwartz, who said, death ends a life, not a relationship. Tell us more about mourning. What's the difference between grief, bereavement, and mourning? We do differentiate those terms, and grief is more of an internal response to loss. And Dr. Alan Wolfelt defines mourning as grief gone public or a shared social response. And bereavement is a term that we equate just with being wounded. Is there a normal bereavement? It's very difficult to define normal because we have to look at grief in context. And some things that determine the grief response would be things like, what was the cause of death? What was the relationship between the individual and the person who died? So there are a lot of different things that define normal, but basically whenever you're grieving, it does not feel like a normal time. Usually when people feel the need for additional counseling, it's when they they really feel like they're stuck or someone who cares about them tells them that they should probably seek some additional help. What are those signs and symptoms that a physician might observe to alert him or her that it's time to make an appropriate referral? Oh, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, ask the patient if they have had a loss. And by doing this, you can help connect the dots and then look for symptoms like headaches, gut upset, muscle aches, fatigue, confusion, and even dry mouth. What resources are available to physicians who have identified grief issues in their patients? I would hope that physicians would think of hospice and funeral homes as great resources. We have a lending library or bereavement library, and also we are familiar with grief counselors and clergy and social workers and psychologists. And there's also an organization called ADEC, the Association of death education and counseling, and that is a wonderful organization for professionals and people who have had a loss. And how do listeners reach you? My website is www.margariteoconnor.com. That's M-A-R-G-U-E-R-I-T-E-O-C-O-N-N-O-R. Marguerite, what advice do you have regarding grief in the holidays? Regarding grief in the holidays, I would say, number one, give yourself permission to enjoy the holidays. Some people feel that because they're sad, they don't want to attend and bring other people down. So first of all, give yourself permission to enjoy the holidays. Also give yourself permission to alter traditions. Really think about what works for you or what you're doing just because you feel like you have to do it. So you might want to create some new traditions. Feel free to ask for help if you feel burdened with putting up the decorations or having everyone at your house. 
So establish healthy boundaries. And my last comment would be avoid overspending, avoid eating and drinking too much. Does this advice apply to also Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day? Absolutely. So when we think about holidays, we also want to remember anniversaries. And we want to have a sensitivity factor that while we are enjoying celebrating holidays like Mother's Day or Father's Day, we want to remember that a large number of people are having a difficult time on those days. So we want to look for people and consider being inclusive, inviting those people to join us as we celebrate these various holidays and anniversaries. Do women and men grieve differently? Yes, generally they do, although I'm always cautious not to stereotype people. Um, Some of this is a generational issue as well. But traditionally, when I would facilitate support groups, I would see more women coming out to talk about their loss and they would seek support. Men would sometimes grieve more quietly. And I was on the board for sudden infant death syndrome years ago, and there was sometimes a gap, and women would say, I don't understand why my husband went out to clean the pool the day of the funeral for our baby. And the men would say, well, hey, you know, sometimes I need to get away or engage in an activity. And so, again, we want to just talk it out and be respectful. We can agree to disagree on how we are going to grieve. Do children and teens grieve differently? Yes, they do. Children grieve in doses. And by that, I mean they'll maybe cry, and then a few minutes later, they'll run outside and play. So we can actually learn, adults can learn from children. And regarding teens, they have a tendency to gravitate more towards their friends. So my message to the moms and dads is don't feel that you're being pushed aside. Your calm presence and just being there when the teens come back to you is very important. But again, it's not a competition. They are going to often gravitate to their other teen friends. And the key thing about teens is when we dress them up and they come in in their suit or a nice attire for a funeral, they look really grown up. But we must remember they do not have the same life experience as adults. And what's the best way to approach them and help them? a caring presence to put it out there that when they do need to talk, that you will make yourself available. And sometimes they'll decide that they want to talk at a time that is not convenient for you. But I would urge you to do your best to clear your schedule or to explain to them, I can't talk about this right now, but this is important to me. And let's set a time. Let's really Get this on the agenda soon because I do want to be here for you and I do want to be present and I want you to talk with me and know that you can always come to me. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is grief and bereavement expert Marguerite O'Connor. Marguerite, what is disenfranchised grief? This is a great term that was coined by Dr. Kendoka, and it basically focuses on the fact that in our culture today, sometimes the loss or the grief or the relationship is not acknowledged. An example of this might be someone who loses a pet and uh, someone who's well-intended but misinformed might say, oh, get over it, or it's just a pet. And those words are not reflecting sensitivity. 
So that would be an example where someone kind of minimizes your grief or you feel like they're not really acknowledging the grief. Another example might be if if a couple has a baby that dies and uh, maybe someone goes up to the man and says, how's your wife doing? And the guy kind of feels invisible. So again, we want to be sensitive to the fact that both parents are feeling a loss, not just the woman who is carrying the child. Do healthcare professionals suffer from disenfranchised grief? They certainly may. I know, for example, when my mom died, I chose to be the grieving daughter and not the funeral director and bomber. And I think that sometimes professionals, particularly those of us who work in an area where there is a real strong relationship formed, I see this with doctors and clergy and funeral directors where your friends and family will come to you and they want you personally and no one else. And so sometimes we we put this on ourselves, but as I say, my encouragement is to give yourself permission to have healthy boundaries. And in the case of my mom, one of my dearest friends did the embalming. And again, he will always be close to my heart for his sensitivity and the excellent service that he provided to me and my family. What can medical professionals do to support one another in this regard? Well, I think, once again, it's a matter of respect and good communication. And I think that we can invite each other to educational seminars so that we understand our respective worlds better. If you understand why we need to get the death certificate signed in a timely fashion, or if we can help you understand some of the issues that you're having with funeral directors, I think this open dialogue and open communication is very important. And I do participate when asked to be on professional advisory committees and things of that nature, because again, I'm just an advocate of competent communication. Is it possible to prepare well for the death of a loved one? Well, it is. And and again, I'm grateful to the doctors who are able to give people a heads up and let them know when there is a life-limiting condition. This does give people time for anticipatory grief. It is a sacred opportunity. People will choose differently, as the doctors know. Some people on a scale of 1 to 10. Some people don't want to know a prognosis of how many months they have, and other people find all of that knowledge very empowering. So we cannot assume across the boards. Again, we have to treat each individual patient, or in my case, each client, each client family, respectfully with independence and to ask those vital questions to find out just how much do they want to know, how much detail orientation do they want. Is it true that if loved ones take care of business before a loved one dies, then the bereavement period can be easier? Well, again, that's a great question. We see with anticipatory grief that people have the opportunity, again, to tell people they love them or to say what is important and and do what they need to do to get their affairs in order. But when the death occurs, it still stings. And I believe that closure is a myth. I know a lot of other professionals share my thoughts on that. We hear the term getting closure, but the reality is that you never get over a significant loss, but you do learn to incorporate it into your life. Marguerite, tell us about your book, Grief Struck, When a Death Changes Your Life. This is a book that I co-authored with a counselor, Marianne Green, and this book is a sort of merging of our combined knowledge and experience from our worlds, in Marianne's case, of counseling and in my world of funeral service. I do use this 
book as a textbook in mortuary school because we feel that the future funeral directors have to deal with their own issues of grief before they can more successfully help others. But this book is not just a textbook. It is designed for people who are grieving. It has testimonials from other people who have had a loss that might resonate with the person reading the book. There is an opportunity for journaling, and there are also some quotes that may resonate with people. How can listeners get a copy? Listeners can get a copy at any bookstore or through Amazon.com or by contacting me directly. And again, what's your website? www.margariteoconnor.com. Marguerite, thank you so much for joining us to discuss grief and bereavement. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.